Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale. Providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show as we move along into April. Things are uh, starting to warm up a little bit, although we did get some snow here in North Carolina in April, which is rather unusual, but uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, I want to kind of dig into something that I thought was an interesting conversation that was going on on, on Twitter and in an interesting article by, uh, by Matt Assay, a friend of the show. Um, and that really kind of dives into this idea of how fast does technology really, does it really change and how fast is it adopted? And I think, um, you know, those two things sometimes uh, go hand in hand, but sometimes they, they tend to go kind of in an opposite direction. And I think what was interesting about the article and about sort of thinking about this was you know, we're, I don't know, 10, 15 years into cloud computing, probably f- eight years or so into sort of this this sort of cloud-native push that, that became sort of formalized with the CNCF and so forth. Um, and yet we look at, you know, certain surveys and certain metrics of really core technologies, whether they're programming languages or databases or infrastructure or, you know, other types of things. And a lot of times we go, boy, you know, the, the things that were there five years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, are still the leading things. And, and why is that the case, right? We've seen what appears to be a lot, a lot of adoption, really big numbers, um, at least in terms of growth numbers for some new technologies, some new capabilities, whether it's a NoSQL database or containers and Kubernetes or, you know, uh, cloud usage, whatever it might be. Um, and yet, you know, when we come back and we look at the bigger picture, we kind of you know, pull back and, and focus on, you know, how much is really being used of, of some of the new things versus existing things. Oftentimes we find that the new stuff just isn't as big. And I thought that'd be sort of an interesting topic to deal with and, and sort of dig into. We'll do that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Zero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, Cloud Zero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, Cloud Zero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? It's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. 
Strong DM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. Instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and cube control command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Illuminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privilege by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check it out for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at www.strongdm.com slash get dash a dash demo. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I want to kind of dig a little bit into, you know, do we see a lot of, you know, rapid technology change? Do we see things, uh, you know, happening as fast as they may perceive to be in, in certain circles of technology? Or is, you know, the, the speed of new technology really just kind of a small blip on the radar? And, it was interesting. So uh, Matt Assay, who works over at MongoDB, but has been in a number of places, has been you know very involved with with open source. Um, you know, wrote an interesting article. He writes quite a bit of interesting stuff for Tech Republic. Um, anyways, good good follow on Twitter, and, and his articles are always fairly thought provoking. He looks at sort of bigger picture things, and ultimately. What he got to looking at was a couple of things. Um, you know, obviously he he sort of lives in the database space. Uh, the database world does a, a pretty good job of kind of laying out you know what technologies are being used and, and how big and so forth. And then uh, you know he sort of compared that as well to uh, some really good work that the folks at Redmonk do every year to look at like programming languages. And what he what he sort of concluded or what he was sort of looking at was you know how much are we seeing a shift in database technologies as well as programming languages over the last number of years. And the nice thing is all this data sort of gets kept around and you can compare year to year and three-year and five-year and 10-year trends and so forth. And what he was kind of digging into was, you know, there's so much buzz, there's so much hype, there's so much money invested, there's so many, you know, people attending events and so forth for you know, things like, um, you know, KubeCon or, you know, the spring events or, uh, you know, database conferences or whatever they might be. And yet, when we look at the numbers of adoption, um, you know, they tend to seem like they're pretty stable. They tend to not change year after year and so forth. And he was kind of trying to figure out, you know, why was that the case? You know, are we are we sort of misleading ourselves with with the hype around some of the new technologies, or you know, maybe are people you know, maybe misreporting numbers or, or whatever? I don't know. If he was necessarily implying that, but um, you know, so I thought it would be sort of an interesting thing to dig into, and I got to thinking about it a lot because we sort of project ourselves on this show as you know really focusing on what's new, and I think for the most part, if you if you look at uh, you know the topics that we have, the trends, the guests, and so forth, you know we've always tried to focus on you know what's what's coming next, what's what's sort of new, what's tip of the spear, those types of things. And yet, I think when when Aaron and I really talk about things, um, you know whether it's off the air or we do sometimes on our end of year show or mid year shows or whatever, I think we always kind of keep coming back to this thing of. There's, you know, there's nothing, especially in the enterprise space. And again, I think we're we're starting to get to a point where, um, 
you know, the enterprise space and the consumer space are starting to diverge again, right? There was a period of time when, um, you know, consumer space uh, for technology usage uh, and, you know, w- websites and so forth, you know, is always tends to be fairly leading edge because, um, you know, it's keeping up with trends in, uh, you know, in, in what people are doing, right? Like it, it, it can have a trend for six months, it can have a trend for a year, and then the trends can change. And whereas that doesn't necessarily happen in the enterprise. But we did go through a period of time um, kind of uh, 05 to 07 to 08, 09, you know, there were some, some crashes and some changes in, in, the, in the web and so forth, in which we really saw the enterprise starting to adopt a lot of the things that were going on in, in consumer technology. And, you know, some of the underlying technologies were, were starting to bleed over quite a bit. And so, you know, we were starting to see, you know, more of, of you know, more in the enterprise moving quickly, uh, you know, trying to sort of keep up with what was going on in consumer because you were getting a lot of people moving into the workforce who were used to using consumer technologies and wanting those to be there for their day-to-day work, right? They didn't necessarily want to create a, a bifurcation or a gap between how they, they live their life day-to-day with computers and then how they did their work day-to-day. So that was going on. And then, I, you know, I think what we see is We've obviously seen a lot of adoption, uh, well, I should say a lot, we've seen adoption in the enterprise of some of these new technologies, whether they were you know, public cloud computing or open source technologies and so on and so forth. So that trend is definitely there. But what's interesting, I think, is to figure out, well, have those things taken over what is a kind of traditional enterprise? And I know for most of you that, that tune into this show, you know, you're probably more focused on what would be considered enterprise types of technologies because you're either uh, you know delivering those technologies, you're building those technologies, you're using them, maybe you're selling them, whatever it might be. And I think the the biggest thing is it's not so much are the technologies not getting the things done. It's you know there's there's a lot of inertia that works against new technologies. So let me let me kind of walk through this a little bit. You know, if you think about most companies uh, that are in this sort of enterprise space, not necessarily like vendors, but companies that are doing things, right? Selling, you know, business to business type of, of customers or even, you know, business to consumer, um, but, you know, maybe in, in a more kind of traditional manner. So think of like a, you know, Home Depot or something, right? Like they're not necessarily in like the fad business other than, you know, they're in the business of, you know, what's the latest colors or fads for your, for your kitchen, but they're not really like in a fad business. I mean, they're still selling things to help you uh, update your house, right? And, and that's not really changing. Um, not in a radical way. I mean, they're not, they're not becoming Bitcoin or something like that. And if you think about those types of companies or the ones that sell B2B, most of their budget, 70, 80% of their budget in most cases, and this number hasn't really fluctuated all that much in many, many years, you know, spent on maintaining the existing systems they have, right? They, they made investments five years ago, 10 years ago into these systems, and most of the money uh, that they have goes into maintaining those. So the amount of budget that's available, somewhere between 20 and 30% for new things is, you know, inherently going to be smaller, right? So the impact that that 20% can have in terms of how much is used, you know, by definition, is going to be smaller, right? And then the next piece is, we typically don't see, and this is, you know, this is sort of this running joke that we've had every time we've had Brandon Wichard on the show. Uh, we talk about, uh, you know, his his fictitious conference that eventually might actually happen called Legacy Conf. You know, most technologies, at least in the enterprise, never die. Right? They they stick around for for very very long times. At some point, we do retire certain things, but a lot of stuff sticks around for a long time. And so, you know, a lot of times these new technologies don't replace old technologies, they just sort of augment them, right? Or they're additive or they're, you know, kind of another 
thing to the side of what they do, right? And that could be on the infrastructure space. It could be in on the data and database side. It could be could be um, you know in development wherever it could be. And then the last piece is, you know, the oftentimes when the new technologies come in, you know, if you were to just ask, I don't know, your infrastructure team, hey, um, you know, for whatever reason we've decided we're going to use Kubernetes or we're going to use AWS or we're going to use whatever, those teams typically couldn't on day one just pick them up and run with them, right? There's going to be some amount of learning curve. And obviously this is why we've seen, you know, a huge, huge uptick in the number of companies that are offering uh, certifications in these spaces, training, you know, different ways of doing training. And, and that's all awesome. We've, we've covered that a lot on this show. But the reality is a lot of times companies will go, well, we've made a determination that that technology is needed for business reasons, for technology reasons, for, uh, you know, pace of change reasons, whatever drives it. And a lot of times they'll, they'll say, look, I, I don't have 18 months, 24 months, 36 months for you to get up to speed. Um, I'm not displacing you, but I'm going to have to bring in some new people to work on that technology. And this is where, you know, we get into the the crunch of there's just not enough people, um, you know, sort of the old joke of, hey, it's 2015 and somebody just posted a job thing that said, hey, I need somebody with five years of Kubernetes experience. Okay, well, it doesn't exist, right? It didn't exist in 2017. It didn't exist in 2018. Maybe it existed in 2019, right? <clears throat> so, Oftentimes, you know, we're, we're trying to bring in people, you know, we oftentimes have to bring in new people and, uh, you know, they're going to focus all of their time on that new technology, right? They've just got a basic understanding of the new technology. It's sort of the thing we joke about a lot. Um, sometimes you just have to be five minutes smarter than everybody else in the room because that's, that's all you have in terms of difference, uh, different experience as to what's going on. Um, so, you know, those three things really come into play. <clears throat> Now, when we look at you know that that hiring of new talent, again, it really goes to the learning curves can be very long on these technologies, right? It takes a number of years to get better at these things. I mean, if we take the the Malcolm Gladwell uh, you know example of you need to get ten thousand hours of something to become an expert, okay, well, let's say we take two thousand hours. Well, that's basically a full year of somebody doing nothing but that technology eight eight you know eight to five every day for fifty weeks a year. That's two thousand hours. That's an entire year of doing it, right? Um, most companies aren't going to aren't going to be able to to afford that uh, for their existing employees because they've been allocated to to current work. And so, what ends up happening is, you know, the new talent is hard to find. Um, oftentimes, the ones who are available become expensive, and if they're not expensive after their first run at this stuff, uh, they're going to become expensive the second time through, right? This is where we see resume-driven development and resume-driven uh, projects happening, where people recognize that, you know, getting certain words on their resume and having a year's worth of experience, two years' worth of experience makes them really, really valuable. And oftentimes, and we've seen this a lot, they end up jumping to other jobs and they're able to, to increase their salary. And so, you know, that becomes, again, challenging when only... 20 to 30% of your budget is being allocated to these new things. If you're paying a much higher rate for new people, oftentimes that's going to reduce the ability of, of that new technology to really, really, um, you know, have a huge impact, right? It can have a big impact, but, but in terms of volume or capacity, it may not necessarily be able to have as big of an impact as something that's been around for five or 10 years and you have 20 or 30 people that are dedicated to work on that sort of thing. So maybe it's a, an, or a database technology or an infrastructure technology, whatever it might be. The next thing to really think about is, 
you know, as much as everybody likes to say, well, here's this new technology and in five minutes you'll be up and running. And, you know, here's a case study that says this company saved 90% of, you know, what they previously did. It often takes a while to get the new technology running and maturing, right? So, you know, I've lived in the Kubernetes world for a long time now. <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's not unusual to, to work with a company, uh, to see them uh, evolve in what they do and begin to understand it. But to take two years, three years before they really kind of mature into how does it work, people understand it, they've made changes to their processes or they've in, you know, implemented new processes and so forth. So, you know, those, those things can take a while. So again, you know, you get people who, uh, you know, maybe start a couple years later than the technology originally starts. They have to ramp up some teams. Those teams are trying to grow some people that don't necessarily exist. And then, uh, you know, it can take a few years to sort of even the technology to mature, let alone your usage of it to mature. And again, it's not unusual for that to take, you know, two years, three years, four years, five years. So you're, you're really, you're dealing with a lot of things that um, are probably more expensive, at least initially, than they originally were. They have smaller budgets than, than existing things. Uh, the technology is maturing. Uh, the people who are able to implement the technology are small. And, and for them to put it in place and get it to work in organizations that have other rules and guidelines and so forth, it can take a while. And the last thing is, you know, we, we, we work in very competitive markets. We work in spaces that, um, you know, look at new technologies and other things as sometimes threats. They're just disruptive to people's business model, to a company's business model, in some cases to a technology's, you know, sort of life, you know, life or death of whether a technology will exist. So, you know, the last thing we see all the time is it's not unusual for an incumbent technology, um, you know, whether it's a programming language or a database or whatever, to go, oh, okay, I kind of ignored that new thing for a while, but it's now starting to get buzz and it's starting to, you know, come into conversations that companies are having with, you know, technology groups or technology vendors or whatever it might be. And I need to add that, right? Like I need to sort of expand my portfolio, what I've been able to do. I need to add that, and we're just going to make it sort of a feature of of the broader legacy technology. And so, you know, we've seen this where you know Oracle will begin to add NoSQL capabilities to their uh, you know SQL databases. We've seen uh, the Java equals you know, ecosystem go from Java EE to Java Spring to some of the new things like Quarkus and so forth. And so, again, those things all sort of fall into Java. And the reason those things get done is partially because um, you know. They're trying to stave off disruption. But the other part is there's a recognition that, you know, moving from, say, one version of Java, one variant of Java to another variant of Java, even though they might be different, is probably an easier lift, especially if programmers have a lot of background in that space and maybe they don't necessarily want to learn some new thing. They don't want to be, you know, polyglot and understand Ruby and Go and Python and a bunch of stuff. You know, just sort of extending or changing how programming language works might really make more sense than anything, at least economically for the biggest number of people. You know, so when you put all those things together, um, you know, it's not by any means a knock. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, it's not smart investments to see venture capitalists uh, invest in new things. Um, obviously, there's typically going to be a reason for that. Um, you know, we've seen in a lot of cases, uh, technology spring out of cloud vendors, uh, not, you know, or, or companies that were in the cloud, and we're seeing them spun out as, you know, open source projects or their own companies. And again, it's because typically they had already solved a problem. And the question becomes, like, does that problem manifest itself in other businesses? 
And then once that happens, it starts to become, you know, can we mature the technology? Can we find people that understand this technology and are willing to, you know, take a chance on their career? And we get this, you know, we get these emails all the time. We get DMs all the time from people going, hey, um, I'm pretty good at this thing, that this, you know, stable, entrenched technology, but I'm seeing this other stuff happening. And it's interesting. But I'm wondering, should I make a jump to that? Right. And this is, again, one of those things that technologists are always debating. Um, you know, should I uh, sort of abandon or, you know, put less focus on something that I'm, I'm really good at, an incumbent, you know, kind of technology, uh, something that's used all over the place that I probably could go find jobs are, but maybe the, the market for that has sort of stagnated, right? Like maybe you're not going to make as much money the next year or the next year being an, being an expert in something that lots and lots of people are experts in. And they start wondering, okay, should I move to something else? Well, you know, that that becomes, again, another one of these things in which you're looking at, is the technology maturing enough? Do I want to jump over there? Am I going to be the first one having to try and learn this? Um, you know, are there going to be projects out there? You know, I think we, we have been seeing more and more, uh, you know, where, you know, every company realizes they have to have an innovation part of what they do. So, you know, we do see more and more adoption of these newer technologies. But I think, you know, if, if we summarize all of this, you know, it really comes back to those fundamental things of most people's budgets aren't allocated towards innovation, especially existing companies, maybe not so much startup companies, but, you know, new companies. So, you know, they've got to carve out budget to to go after that innovation in a smart way. Um, you know, they've got to uh, figure out how do they make this new technology work in their current world, because in a lot of cases, they're not distinctly replacing something else because uh, especially if you're replacing something else then the laundry list of capabilities you need or requirements become really long so you're oftentimes trying to augment it and then again trying to to fit that in as something new and being able to to measure it in a way that you know the new stuff doesn't look terrible or it doesn't look you know just odd compared to, to the old systems um, you know always comes into play so I think all those things when, when taken together uh, sort of explain <clears throat> what Matt was was sort of noticing, uh, looking at, you know, a couple of aspects of, of the world, the things that were relevant to him. But I think, you know, if we were to measure this for infrastructure, so if we were measuring, you know, Kubernetes usage versus VMware, or we were measuring it as, you know, data center capacity used in large businesses versus, you know, a, a number of you know, amount of capacity used in the public cloud, you know, I think we would see similar types of things. And, and some will argue, oh, well, the public cloud's different. Maybe not, maybe not, right? Like they have, there's a lot of SaaS business that goes on in the public cloud and consumes a ton of resources. But I think, you know, what Matt was seeing is is really kind of the natural, uh, normal, how things work all the time. And, you know, we're, we're always going to see new technologies come along. We're going to see really, really long tails of existing technologies stick around for a really long time because, you know, it's sort of the, the if it ain't broke, don't fix it uh, type of thing. You know, it's doing its job. It may not be sexy. Um, you know, I've had people ping me who are 25, 28-year-old people who are programmers that work on mainframe, and they go, man, I know I'm not working on something sexy, but, you know, it's good good work. And, um, you know, I think that that mindset will be out there for, for a very long time because at the end of the day, it's still doing its job. It's serving the business. Um, and, yeah, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but uh, it's, you know, it doesn't need to be ripped out just for the sake of ripping it out, it does its job. And maybe it's not the most cost effective, but it's also, uh, you know, it, the day to day, it is terribly effective. So anyways, uh, I think what, what Matt kind of highlighted, um, you know, at least on the surface looks a little bit odd. I think in reality, when you really dig into it, 
Um, it's just the natural tendency of of technology. Um, and like I said, I know Aaron and I have been you know following this at least from a podcast perspective for twelve plus years, and, and that same trend has has been uh, has been going pretty consistently uh, the entire time. In which you know there's a lot of new stuff, but uh, you know as a as a relative percentage of of the big pie of what everybody works on and what everybody uses it's you know it's still uh you know fits into that 20 20 to 25 percent maybe of uh, of what people spend their time and money on so with that i'm going to wrap it up hope everybody's doing well hope everybody enjoyed the show and uh again i would love to hear your stories if your company is is uh, is way outside that 20 30 percent of what they spend on innovation, uh, you know, it's it's great if you're able to do that. Um, I would love to hear sort of the business uh, reasoning behind it, or the people reasoning behind it, and how you've been successful with it. So, if you have any of those, feel free to shoot us a, an email at show at thecloudcast.net, or shoot us a DM uh, to myself or Aaron or the Cloudcast account. With that, I'm going to wrap it up. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's starting to enjoy spring, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.